At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks in 2021, you know that we have been walking through a series that we have called The New Normal, as we have sought to understand the new that Jesus normalized. When Jesus came to the earth, he did not come merely to add another line to a religion, but he came to actually bring in a new covenant, a new way, a new normal by which people like you and I might connect to the God who created us. And that way, of course, was through Jesus himself. It wasn't through being a part of a particular group or a a particular nation, but it was ultimately through Jesus himself and Jesus only that people like you and me could have a relationship with God. And in Galatians, this letter that Paul wrote that's included in our New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul writing a letter to some friends of his who had recently trusted Jesus in a region called Galatia. Well, he writes to them to encourage them to continue to live out the new that Jesus normalized instead of floating back to the old religion or religions that they understood. Today, we're going to wrap up this series by looking at Galatians chapter 2 in verse 20, just one verse. But in that one verse, in the three sentences that are in that one verse, we see the Apostle Paul basically describe the Christian life um, in just three sentences. If you were to describe the Christian life to maybe a friend of yours or a family member in just three sentences, what would you say? How would you describe it? Well, we find out how Paul described the Christian life in Galatians 2.20. And I think it would really benefit all of us today to see that description. Not just how somebody becomes a Christian, but ultimately how we live out the life that Jesus has called us to live. How the new that he normalized can become realized in my life and in yours. We're going to see that today by looking at Galatians chapter 2 in verse 20. Let me read those verses for us and then we'll back up and make a couple of observations today. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul writes and says this, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, in that one verse, in those three sentences, what we're going to see is two things that are are really basic. But these two things, I think, will help us begin to apply all that we have seen and heard over the last number of weeks. Just two things we're going to see. First thing we're going to see is that we need to get personal. And the second thing we're going to see is that we need to get practical. So where do we see that inside of this verse? Well, the first thing I want us to see is that we need to get personal. Now, when we think about what Jesus came to do, we often think about it in the grandest of terms. And appropriately so, we think of it in the grandest of terms, because Jesus came to do really big things. We see this in John 3.16, for God so loved who? The world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What was the scope of Jesus' plan? The scope was the world. We see this in Psalm 67 in verse 3 where it says, let all the peoples praise you. Who should praise God? 
all the peoples. The scope of God's plan in Christ was not just for one person or a couple of people, but it was for all the people. That's a pretty big scope. We see it also in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus says that they are to go, his disciples are to go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples of all the people. So we're used to seeing and hearing about the scope of God's plan being very big and very great. Now, that's appropriate because that is the scope of God's plan. But there's a danger for us just seeing these big words and these big ideas. And that danger is for us to think that because God's scope and plan includes more than me, then I must not be all that important. Think of it this way. Many areas of our lives, we are used to avoiding the input of experts because we assume that they would not want to take time with us. If you have a son that plays football and they play the quarterback position. You probably don't expect Tom Brady to come and hang out at your house and teach them how to play the quarterback position. Well, why do you not think that, they, that Tom would come and do that? Well, because you think Tom's got bigger things to do, like winning Super Bowls and throwing Super Bowl trophies from one boat to the next. I mean, you're, you're thinking this is what Tom has got going on, right? He doesn't have time to come and hang out with me or with my family. Because his scope is so large, we assume he wouldn't take time with us. I think about even my in my own personal field of being a pastor. There's a pastor I really look up to by the name of Tony Evans down in Dallas, Texas. I don't expect Tony to answer the phone every time I would call him or to come up and just hang out with me for an afternoon to help provide some insight on things that I might be struggling with. Why? Because I assume that Tony, who's got a international ministry, has got so many other things going on uh, that he wouldn't have time to take for just me. I, I don't know what your field of expertise is or, or what matters to you, but my guess is there is some expert in a field that you care about that you assume would want nothing to do with you because, let's face it, we're, we're not the world. We're not all the nations, and they've got bigger things to do. Now, because that's our, our experience in so many other areas of our lives, when it comes to our Christian life, we assume that Jesus, because his scope is the world, also must not have time for little old me or little old you. But the reality is, when we look at the gospel, and specifically when we look at Galatians 2.20, as we'll see in just a moment, we see that Jesus does have time for little old you and for little old me. Because in the gospel, what we see is that God zooms in, not just to people, but to you and to me. We think about it like a telescope. When you go outside and you look at the night sky, what you see up in the sky is space stuff, right? With a naked eye, we just see black sky or maybe a few dots that look like stars to us. But if we were to look through a telescope, we would not just see space stuff, but an area that looked you know, nondescript for one moment might turn into a, a number of different stars that we could not see initially. If we were to zoom in, things that are even far away take on great detail. You might remember this back in December if you went out and looked through a telescope to see that Christmas star event where a couple of planets lined up. With our naked eye, it looked like one star. But through a telescope, we could see that it was actually 
a number of different things converging to make something that was very bright. And that's what we see in the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus telescopes into the world so that he does not just see people or world or nations, but he sees you and he sees me. Now, where do we see that? Well, we see that as we look at Galatians 2.20 and we see this remarkable shift that Paul makes where he goes from talking in big and grand terms to using the first person personal pronouns, I and me, a number of times. I'm going to throw it up here on the screen, and I want you to look and count with me how many times the word I or me are used in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See that? Seven different times in that one verse, Paul talks about I or me. Now that is something that ought to grab our attention, that he would use it that many times. And and the reason why I think Paul does that is because he wants us to understand that the gospel, though it does impact nations and all people in the world, also impacts us. In Jesus' mission, though he had the world in mind, he also came for you, and he also came for me. Now, that is a pretty amazing thing for us to reflect on, that Jesus actually came for us. Now, when we see that Paul had personalized what Jesus had done, we understand the depth of his passion. You see, people might get fired up for someone else's cause for a weekend. You know, if this was just a truth that Paul had read in a book, it might have sustained him for a couple of weeks. But how do you explain Paul's passion to continue to proclaim Christ at great cost to himself? He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He eventually would be killed because of his faith in Jesus. How do we explain that kind of passion that would sustain at this point when he wrote this letter for 14 years and would go on a number of years more into the future? How do we explain that level of passion from the Apostle Paul? Well, friends, that level of passion from Paul is not found in someone else's cause. And it's not even found just in some axiom that Paul read in a book. It's found when Paul understood and embraced by faith that Jesus came for him, that that Jesus died for him, that the truth of Jesus was not just something for the world, but something that needed to be personalized inside of Paul. When it was personalized inside of Paul, Paul was changed and his life was never the same. And the same thing is true for you and I. If we personalize what Jesus has done, it will change the way we think about how we live our lives now. Now, before we get to our application, let's go back and think about what was the truth that Paul had personalized about Jesus. Well, we see that. The first thing that that Paul had personalized about Jesus was Jesus' death. He began in verse 20, and he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Jesus died on the cross. That's a a fact of history that we are well aware of. 
But Paul remembered that Jesus' death on the cross had something intimately to do with Paul. In other words, Paul's sin is what Jesus went to the cross to die for. Not just sin in general, but Paul's sin. Paul understood that Jesus' death would take the penalty that Paul's sin deserved. And in that way, Paul understood that if he was trusting in Christ, that Paul, in fact, had been crucified with Christ. In other words, the parts of Paul that were worthy of God's wrath and judgment died with Jesus. Now, why did Jesus have to die? Well, because the righteous standards of the law had not been met. Paul reminded us of that back in verse 19. Paul said, for through the law, I died to the law. Why did Paul die to the law? Because that's what the law did. The law pointed out our shortcomings and required a payment. And that payment was death. But when Jesus died on the cross, he took the death that Paul's sin required. And when Jesus died on the cross, he takes the death that your sin and my sin required. So the first thing that Paul had personalized was Jesus's death. Now, the second thing that Paul had personalized, though, was Jesus's life. Paul said here, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Again, back in verse 19, when he said, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. In other words, Paul understood that just as Jesus rose from the dead, so too Paul got to walk about in newness of life. Jesus was living a new life, and now Paul got to share in that new life in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 famously says, from when Paul writes, that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The old was identified with Jesus' death and done away with. But the new life of Christ becomes available to you and me. A new life with new hope and new options and new possibilities. Now, because of all of that, Paul understood that he would be identified most by Jesus Christ. That's who he was now. The most prominent thing about Paul was not that he was a former Pharisee and not that he was a Jew and, and not that he was circumcised. But the most important thing about Paul was that he was connected to Jesus. And when we think about that for our lives today, we need to be remembered that the most important thing about you and me is also Jesus. That is what will define us. If we have trusted in Christ and been connected with his death and are living his life, then guess what is the most important, prominent, defining characteristic of you and me? It's our connection to Jesus as well. Now, as we take this one more step and we begin to apply it, I want to just ask a couple of questions. The first is, do you know that Jesus cares for you? Do you know that he cares for you? 
Have you depersonalized this and said merely that Jesus cares for the world? Or do you understand that Jesus Christ cares for you? He came for you. When he died on the cross, he died to take your sins. When he rose from the dead, he invites you to live this new life in him. Jesus cares for you. You have been crucified with Christ. And you have the opportunity now to live with him. If you have never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've never personalized this truth, today in your home might be the perfect opportunity for you to do so, for you to bow your head and to pray and say, Jesus, I am connected with you. Thank you for coming for me. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for inviting me by faith, to live this life that you have made possible for us. Friends, if you have just made that decision, then you have begun a relationship with Christ. You have personalized what Jesus came to offer for the world. But a second question that I think we need to remember is this. Do you know that Jesus is your defining demographic? Do you know that? Do you know that if you have trusted in Christ that that is what defines you the most. You know, we, we live in a world that, that has all of these demographics that are set up as ways for us to divide each other. You know, men, women, old, young, black, white, red, blue, you know, U.S. or from another country. There are all these different demographics. And every time we fill out a form, we have to fill in these little bubbles and they end up becoming something that the world wants to define us by. But here's what you need to remember, and here's what I need to remember. The most defining thing about us is not our maleness or our femaleness. It's, it's not our nationality. It's, it's not our race or ethnicity. The thing that, that most defines us is our connection to Christ. Remember, as we saw last week, it is a level ground at the foot of the cross. This is the basis for the Christian ethic of caring for all people, regardless of their background. Because in Christ, there is dignity and there is value and there is an evenness of blessing from God. It doesn't mean that our lives will all look the same. It doesn't mean that we will have all the same physical stuff, but it does mean that the spiritual connection to God is the same through Christ for everyone who is alive. Paul understood that and he personalized this truth. The question is, are we personalizing it? In, in thinking about this idea, do you know that Jesus is your defining demographic? I want to just make one more statement about that. I want to remind us to not take the bait of this world to make something less your defining trait. You were made for someone more. Friends, Jesus is who defines us. Let's really get personal with that truth. So if that's the first thing that we see from Galatians 2.20, what's the second one? Well, the second thing that we see is that we need to get practical. We need to get practical. Now, how do we get practical in light of these verses? Well, what we see in Galatians 2.20, again, is this reminder that if we are in Christ, we are living a new life in him. Look at what it says there in the middle of the verse. It says, the life that I now live, 
In other words, when we trust Christ, we don't just wait for eternity, but we get to live out a Christian life right now. Now, that's a wonderful thing because as we live out that Christian life right now, we're a new creation. We have new desires to honor God and to please Him. And, and we, we have a, a connection with God and He is speaking these great truths over us. It's a wonderful thing to be living out this new life now with new options and new possibilities. But here's the challenge. Though we are living out a new life now, we are living out this new life now at an old address. Look at what it says right after that. In the life that I now live in the flesh. Now, what is the flesh? The flesh is, is Bible speak here for talking about the, the, the physicalness of our lives. It's, it's talking about our, our nature in this life that has a propensity to sin. Now, we're aware of that, right? If you have trusted in Christ, you might have been at a mountaintop and, and you might have only wanted to obey God in that moment. But if you have been a Christian for any time, you know that this new life and these new desires that you have to follow Jesus are lived out in this old address of the flesh that still is tempted to be selfish and sinful. Because our flesh is all predisposed to that selfish, sinful bent. Now, it's not all predisposed the exact same way. There are certain sins that are more tempting for one person than another, but all of us live out this new life in Christ in this old address of our flesh. Now, we won't be in this old address of our flesh forever. When we die and go to heaven, we will trade this in for something better. But as long as we live our lives right now, we will live out this new life in Christ in this old address of our flesh. And that means that there are patterns that we're going to have to break. You know, I think about... Uh, friends that I have that have struggled with alcoholism or drug abuse. And one of the things that they have told me is they've said, Mark, you don't understand. When I drive across town, I know everywhere in this town where I can get alcohol, or I know everywhere in this town where I can get drugs. They said, you probably don't know that. If you have not struggled with that, you can drive across town without having those temptations. But they say, but but we understand, we, we know where they are. And so it's a conscious effort of, of living out a different life every day and every moment. And, and friends, that is true for an alcoholic or a drug addict who's in, in recovery. But friends, it's also true um, for you and I. Just change the topic. There are areas of our lives where we understand how to manipulate the system for our own sinful and selfish gain uh, more than someone else. And so we have this challenge. We have the challenge now of trying to live out the new life that we have in Jesus at the old address of our flesh. So because of that challenge, we need a plan. And what's wonderful about the plan that is offered for us in the scripture and in the gospel, and even in this verse, is this plan comes with great power. And the power that, that, that goes along with the plan that God has for us to live out a life right now inside of this old address of the flesh is the power of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says, I am moving in to your life to live with you and through you and in you in this moment. Now, that's remarkable. That's, that's better than Tom Brady coming to teach your son to throw a football. That's better than Tony Evans taking my call. That is the creator of the universe moving in 
with us in offering his power to enable us to live the life that he's called us to live. Now, what is that power that he has given? Well, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see as we look throughout the New Testament, a number of things mentioned about the Holy Spirit. What do we see mentioned? Well, we see, first of all, that the Holy Spirit has come to reside in all of our lives at the moment of belief. Not at some later moment, not at a point of higher enlightenment, but when you trust Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says that at the moment of belief, the Spirit of God has come to reside within our lives. So if you know Jesus, you have the Spirit inside of you. How does Christ live out his life in you? He lives out his life in you through the work of his Spirit that has come to reside in your life. Now, what else do we see? Well, we know that the Spirit of God is also powerful enough to raise the dead. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 reminds us of that. It says that the Spirit that was able to raise Jesus from the dead lives in us and is able to give life to our mortal bodies as well. So if we ever are dealing with a temptation or a struggle and we think this temptation or struggle is just too great for me to handle, guess what? It is too great for you to handle, but it's not too great to handle for the Spirit of God that resides within you because that Spirit is enough to raise the dead. Therefore, that Spirit is enough to handle your struggle or your temptation. So we have hope. We also see in Galatians 5, 16, something we'll see a little later on in the book of Galatians as we continue our study inside of 2021, that the Spirit of God enables us to overcome the temptation of the flesh. It says, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The Spirit is powerful in us to enable us to live the life that God has called us to live. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 through 24 reminds us that the Spirit of God produces fruit inside of our lives that is consistent with the life that God wants us to live. Fruit like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the kinds of things that are manifest in our life as we trust in the Spirit of God. But there's more. In Galatians 5.25, says that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. This is the idea that the Spirit is moving in a direction. What direction is the Spirit moving? The Spirit is moving in the Jesus direction. So if you want to follow Christ, then why not depend upon the Spirit of Christ, which is inside of you, that will enable you to follow Him. The Spirit of God is never going to lead us in a direction that is sinful. Because that's not the direction the Spirit of God is going. God's Spirit is inside of us to empower us and to move us in the direction of following Christ. Now, this is a remarkable thing to think about. This idea that God has not just given us a manual and told us to figure it out. That he's not just given us a car and told us to drive. But he's actually given us his spirit as fuel to fill our tanks and to enable us to follow him. So if that's the case, and God has given us this spirit to empower us to live, then we know that the plan that he has for us involves great power. But what do you know about power? 
What we know about power is that power needs to be plugged into in order to be activated. I, I could have, you know, a toaster, but if I don't plug the toaster into the wall, it'll never heat. If I don't plug the microwave into the wall, it'll never cook. And if we never take our lives and plug into the power that is given to us in the Spirit of God, then we also would live something short of what God has intended for us. So how do we plug in to what God has done? Well, we are find out here in Galatians 2.20. How do we plug into that power? We plug into that power by faith. Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, that is a remarkable statement, isn't it? He's talking about plugging into, by faith, what Jesus has done. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? It's, it's us grabbing onto something. Therefore, our faith is only as good as what we grab onto. And Paul is reminded when he says this that his hope is ultimately not in his faith. His hope is in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. Paul is grabbing onto Jesus, and it is Jesus who is the source of his hope. And, and this is really the same that is true for us. Our hope that we have for living out the Christian life is grabbing onto, by faith, one who is stronger than we are, and that one is Jesus. And what is Jesus' attitude towards us? Paul remembers it again. The Son of God is the one who loved him. Now, I love that. The word love there is not how we often use it. We often use the word love like an emotion, but love here is used as a verb. Paul knew that Jesus loved him. How did Paul know that Jesus loved him? Paul knew that Jesus loved him because he gave himself for Paul. Jesus died for Paul. Jesus came for Paul. Therefore, Paul knew that Jesus was worth grabbing onto because he had personalized that truth. So his next practical step was to grab onto Jesus however he could. Now, what does it look like for you and I to grab onto Jesus in our everyday lives? Well, I want us to think about some action steps as we get practical here. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about what you're facing. As you live out this new life in Christ at the old address of your flesh, where are you struggling? Think about that area where, where you are currently facing some kind of temptation. Now, as you think about that, I want you to think about what God says about that area. You might have to look for some verses in Scripture to find out, but, but go ahead and do that. Take the time. What does God say about that area? Does he say that that behavior that you're tempted to do is good for you or bad? Does he say that it would, would hurt you or that it would benefit you? Does he, does he say about that that it would, would hurt others or that it would benefit others? Think about what God's Word says about that area and reflect about that. After you've thought about what God says about that area, then think about what God has provided you in this moment to live the life that He is calling you to live. Think about that. What has He done? Well, He's given you a new life. He, he's died for you to take 
the sacrifice to, to, to take the penalty for your sins. He has given you his spirit to empower you to not only understand what to do, but also to have the strength in order to do it. Reflect on that. Think about that. Understand what God has given to you in his grace in this moment to live the life that he's called you to live. And then I want you to think what obedience would look like. Understanding what God has provided in terms of direction and power. What would it look like for you to obey in that area? Friends, faith often looks like obedience. Faith grabs on to Jesus, but then as you grab on to him, you, you, you walk following him as well in the direction that the Spirit is empowering you. What would it look like for you to be obedient in that area? And then move forward in that direction. But lastly, I think it's really critical for us to see this. We then need to rinse and repeat. Now, I say that because trusting Christ is something that happens in one moment. When you began your relationship with Jesus, it happened in one moment. But living out your Christian life is something that happens in every moment, not in one moment. In every moment, you are come face to face with this reality that what God is calling you to do is something that you don't have the ability to do yourself. And so what do you do? Rather than throwing up your hands and saying, I'm going to give in to the old address of the flesh, you instead can grab onto Jesus and you can follow him in faith, saying that his way is truly the way that you want to go, given all that he is and all that he has done. But even then, there will be times that you fall short. There will be times when you still sin and give in to this, that temptation of the flesh. But in those moments, we can go back and we can rinse again. In other words, we remember what Jesus did. In the death that Jesus died, not only did it pay for your sins in the past, but it's also paying for your sins in the present. And so Jesus gave himself for your shortcomings today, just as he gave himself for your shortcomings yesterday. And that gives us the opportunity to continue to move forward in this new life in Jesus together. Friends, in these verses, Paul summarized what it meant to live out the Christian life in three sentences. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May we personalize that truth and may we get practical with it in our daily lives. Families, thanks for joining us today as we've worshiped here at Wildwood. I want to pray and then you can spend some time discussing this as a family. On uh, my blog, PastorMarkRobinson.com, you can go there and find uh, questions related to this message if you'd like to have a conversation as a family over lunch today. Thanks so much for joining us, and let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this truth, and thank you for this series. Thank you for the new that Jesus normalized, and thank you that it can be something that can be personal for us, that can transform our lives as well. Father, may we practically follow you in Jesus' strength and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you soon.